Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. I guess I don't need to introduce myself anymore. Thank you, Em, uh, for commissioning us. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been exciting to be in the schools. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, our mission, our vision at Treehouse is to end hopelessness among teens. And for us at Treehouse Mid-Atlantic is to do that in the whole Mid-Atlantic region. Uh, it, it was about six years uh, that we've been doing uh, ministry at Restoration before we kind of expanded in any way beyond the walls of restoration. And in that year, we got invited into the middle schools of Pensbury. We launched programs at a church in New Jersey. We got programs started at um, Yardley United Methodist Church and um, started talks with a friend down in Maryland who wants to get programs going down there. So 2022 was a crazy year <laughs> of, of kind of just opening our minds to what God has in store. And we pray that you guys will join us in that mission as we move from the great programs we have here to kind of going outside of the walls here at Restoration Church. You can see on this slide here um, some statistics about hopelessness, about mental health in young people today. Um, I don't, I'm not going to read all of them, but you can read them. Um, and, and you can see that our work is cut out for us. Um, to end hopelessness among teens, <laughs> I have job security. We have job security, right, unfortunately. Um, but we still want to do what we can to make ground in our vision to end hopelessness among teens. Um, and we know, like Ross has been saying, we've been singing about all morning, that that hope that we share with our teens is not from us. It's from a living hope of Christ. Um, and if it were from us, we'd be tapped out within a week, right? Um, helping our students with what they're going through, man, it, it can be so hard um, because of just the weight of it. Um, and I think, <laughs> you know, we would be burned out pretty quickly if it was just what we could offer them. But we're offering the living hope of Jesus. So let's pray. God, I just, I just pray now that you free myself from distraction. I pray that you free everyone that's listening to this message from the distractions of life so that we might listen to what you have in store for us. Let us learn from the truths that are about to be shared today um, and help us take them to heart. I pray this in your name. Amen. So um, just a brief background on Treehouse. Uh, since some of you might know, some of you might not, so let's all get on the same page here. Um, in 1979, a man named Fred Peterson was a middle school teacher in Minnesota who was one paper away from obtaining a doctorate in education. So he was one of those teachers who truly cared about his students. I know we have some, some teachers like that here in the building today, um, and I hope that all of us have had an experience with that kind of teacher, right? That teacher's like, oh, yeah, that's a good teacher. Like, I've felt safe in their classroom, right? That was Fred. Um, so after an experience of losing one of his students to an accident involving alcohol, Fred decided that he was being called to do something more. He felt the need to establish something that helps students on a deeper level one relationship at a time. 
And so nearly 45 years ago, Treehouse was born. I often get asked why we are called Treehouse. You know, it's kind of a, a unique name. Um, and the answer is actually pretty simple. So when Fred was growing up, he had a treehouse. And when he got up in the treehouse and pulled up his rope ladder, he said, I felt like that was the safest place in the world. So that's, that's why we're called Treehouse. We want this to be a safe place for students to come where they can be themselves without fear of judgment or shame and a place where they can learn what we call our Treehouse Truths. So which we actually, you know, we just showed, we have now plastered all over the walls downstairs, which is really awesome. It's a really cool space now for us. Um, we're going to review them again in a moment as we talk about our, our Bible lesson from today. But the Treehouse Truths are as follows. Uh, you are lovable, capable, and worthwhile. You are loved without strings. You are never alone, and you have a future. Talk about some truths to hear as a young person, right? To know those as you're going through stuff, through the hard stuff of life. We try to get our students to, to have these buried deep in their hearts and minds. So we go over them every week. We plaster them on the walls. We, we have bracelets and shirts and stickers. And I have some on the table there. So if you'd like to grab a bracelet or a sticker or a magnet just to remind you to pray for what we're doing, go ahead and grab one after service. Um, so when Ross asked me to preach during the series, it only seemed fitting to share these truths that we try to plant deep in the hearts and minds of our students. And I thought about many of the places in the Bible that these truths can be found. I realized that there was one powerful story that tied them all together. So let's talk about John chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus didn't baptize, himself baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, his popularity is on the rise. He's starting to get a little bit too much attention for what he needed to do and the timing of that. And so knowing it was not yet time for a confrontation with the Jewish leaders, he was taking his disciples back to Galilee, where they're from, to stay a little more under the radar for the time being. You can see this map here. Um, there's the like brown map or brown route and the blue route and the red route. Which route would you take, you think, to get from one place to the other? The middle one probably, right? I mean, the red one has, you have to cut, cross a river a few times. The brown one's like way out of the way. The blue one, you know, you're kind of just walking mostly straight. None of it, it's all, it's all like desert type, you know, mountains and stuff. So none of it's great, but I think I would pick the blue route. But um, for most Jews of the time, you would do whatever you could to avoid Samaria, which is what the blue route goes right through. So uh, you, would, you would avoid Samaria because you would have nothing to do with the people of Samaria. Now, you see, um, over the course of several hundred years, a deep dislike and distrust had been built up between many of the Jewish people and the Samaritans. This region in what was the northern kingdom of Israel had been conquered multiple times, and most of the Jewish population was exiled from that region each time that they were conquered. And the remaining lowest class of Jewish society was the only people that were left. 
And the remainder of Jewish people had little choice but to intermarry with the other non-Jewish people in the area. You can imagine that this group of people, is now known as the Samaritans, would develop a new and different religious and cultural customs over time. And because of this mixing of religions and traditions, most of the rest of Jewish society during those days despised the Samaritans and saw their faith as an affront to what was considered the true Jewish faith. I think we can all think of scenarios that are similar to this in our day. We have this group of people that are different from us. We have things that we believe that are different, and we think that they mess things up, and we despise them. We, We just don't agree with them, and we just have nothing to do with them. Right? So because of that, so um, when it says in verse 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria, what John is telling us is not that it was the most practical route or that there was no other option. He's telling us that Jesus had to go through Samaria as a Jew so that he would defy the expectations of Jewish leaders because he knew there were people there in Samaria who needed an encounter with him. So Jesus' choice to go through Samaria shows us that Jesus sees these people that the rest of Jewish society looks down upon. Jesus sees them as lovable, capable of a relationship with him, and worth his time and efforts. And just like the Samaritans, Jesus also believes that you are lovable, capable, and worthwhile. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world is telling you about you, you who you are, your past, your mistakes. Jesus wants to meet you and love you right where you are today, and he's going to go out of his way to do that. So let's continue with the next verses. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So I highlighted Jesus sat wearily. There are three words from the life of Jesus that I can relate to. (laughs) Anybody ever sat down? Right? How many of us have had an experience of going on a long, hot walk or hike The sun's beating down on us. The people you're with are complaining, probably asking you annoying questions, just continually saying things like, are we almost there? Can we be done? I'm hot. My legs are tired. Why are we doing this? I can't make it another step. You're going to have to carry me. Oh, wait, that's probably just me projecting (laughs) My experience as a dad of three kids, six and under. But I'm pretty sure Jesus probably felt the same way about his disciples, right? Walking through the desert, the mountains. We know enough about the disciples that they were probably complaining, probably saying these things to Jesus. What are we doing, Jesus? Like, I don't want to go this way. We have to go through Samaria? Come on, man. I think my argument is supported even more by the fact that we find out in verse 8. Yeah, he's like, guys, go get the food. (laughs) Like, I'm going to sit down. You go into the village and go get us some food, right? 
And John is also showing us here that Jesus, while still being fully God, generally submitted to our same human limitations. He sat down wearily, right? Oh, whew. man, what a journey. Dealing with these, <laughs> these disciples and they're complaining and the heat and I'm just hot. It had been a long journey. It was the hottest part of the day and Jesus was thirsty. Makes sense, right? We would be too. So he asked for a drink of water. Doesn't seem like a big deal. But it really actually was because of who he was asking. Let's go to the next set of verses. Oh, it's really tiny. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'll read it, and you can pull it up. It's John chapter 4. Uh, we're starting in verse 9 through 15 in this section here. So it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, she doesn't get it, right? You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This, this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer water that he and his sons and animals enjoyed? better than that jesus replied anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again but those who drink the water i give will never be thirsty again it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life please sir the woman said give me this water then i'll never be thirsty again and i won't have to come here to get water she's thinking he's like talking about real water that's going to cure her thirst right it should be awesome but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Now, it would be uncommon for women to be at the well during the hottest part of the day. So it's likely that she was either an outcast in her community or she had some sudden need for the water or maybe a combination of those things. It's no coincidence that Jesus happened to plop down at this well in this region at the exact same time this woman showed up. Remember, we just talked about how he had to go through Samaria because he knew he had an encounter with them because he believed the people there were lovable, capable of a relationship with their creator and worth his time and efforts. So we already talked a little bit about the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, it makes sense that this woman was surprised that this Jewish man would speak to her, let alone ask her for a drink. It's like, it would be shocking, right? And she's like, what are you, why are you even speaking to me? Like, you shouldn't even want to look at me, Right? So when Jesus starts in with this discussion of living water, it intrigues her and keeps her curious about this Jewish man who's being way too kind and breaking all these cultural rules and customs. It seems like she might be starting to understand that what Jesus is offering her is something worth risking because she keeps talking with him. That's a risk in those days. But she might be still thinking that he is talking about some type of actual liquid water, right, that will cure her thirst. It will make her life so much easier because she won't have to drag her, her jars of, to get the water, bring it back. That will be way more convenient than what she has to do. But Jesus patiently continues to reveal more truth to her in the following verses. So moving to verse 16. Jesus says, oh man, guys, that's so small. <laughs> uh, Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. He requests this both because it would be more culturally appropriate and possibly to t start tugging at her conscience, as we'll find out in a second. 
I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So Jesus now decides it's time to reveal more about who he is, not to the most righteous and respected members of Jewish society, but to a Samaritan, lowly, trash Samaritan. Not just any Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman who was shunned by her own community for her mistakes and the things that she's done in her life. He speaks openly about being the Messiah for one of the first times in his public ministry to one of the lowest members of society. And it wasn't an accident. Remember, he had to go through Samaria. It was his choice because he knew the people of Samaria were lovable capable of a relationship with him and worth his time and efforts. And now he's showing this woman that she is loved without strings. Another one of our treehouse truths, right? At treehouse, we explain that being loved without strings means that no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've done, you are loved. And here Jesus is sharing the circumstances of her life with her, not to shame her, but so that she would recognize that he, who he was and have the opportunity to become one of the very first people to enter into this new life of being able to be in a relationship with God, not just by means of the temple, but of in spirit and truth. If that's not a clear enough example of who Jesus is for, I don't know what would be. Another of our treehouse truths shows up here as well. Jesus is telling this woman that she will now be able to worship anywhere not just the temple and that god is spirit and we are to worship him in spirit and truth meaning we'll no longer need to be concerned about where we worship what sacrifices we offer the rituals that must be completed but we should be more concerned with our connection to him in spirit and according to the truth of god's word she'll never again need to feel alone because her God will be with her. And you can experience the same thing too. Again, we see that Jesus chooses this lowly sinner to reveal himself publicly as the Messiah. The Savior of the world, himself born in a dirty room meant for animals. Revealing himself here for one of the first times as the Messiah to a dirty woman. Rejected by her own community. How much more clear can Jesus make it that he came to save us all? Let's 
go to verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to, they said, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Oh, I love when the disciples are just real people, right? <laughs> You're like, where'd you get food from? Like, <laughs> um, now the disciples have hit up a Chipotle or Panera or whatever, you know, made their way back. Um, and I, I just love the way that John also explains what's going through their heads at the time. They come upon Jesus with this, this Samaritan woman. Ugh. And, and they're like, why is he talking to her? Ugh. But he also says they, none of them had the nerve to bring it up, right? But they, he's like, we thought it, right? And we see that the woman leaves the scene with a new lease on life. Jesus has given her a new future. She has a future. One of our treehouse truths, right? Jesus was able to use this woman's story to bring his truth to a whole new region of people. He knew that she and her community were able to be loved by him, capable of a relationship with him, and worth his time and effort. He showed this lowly sinner that he loved her, despite knowing everything about her. He explained to her that she would never again have to be alone, and that she would now worship God in spirit and in truth. And now he has gifted her with one of the greatest purposes in life, future to spread the good news of the messiah this will be her future now i love the way that the chosen tv series captures this moment um this encounter that jesus has with the woman at the well Um, so i I would like to spend a few minutes reliving it that way and then we'll we'll close up after that let's watch together (laughs) oh Silly disciples. I love how Mary's like the one who's like, wow, like look at this amazing encounter. And the dudes are just like, what's going on here? You know? <laughs> but we are we are fully known and fully loved by Jesus. He went out of his way. He had to go through Samaria to have this encounter with this specific woman. To let her know that she is capable of being loved. Capable of a relationship with him, the Messiah. And that she's worth his time and efforts. She wasn't condemned. She wasn't rejected. No no matter what has happened to her, what she's done, she's loved by him. So when we give our hearts and minds to him, we can enter into a relationship with him in spirit and in truth, meaning that we will never again be alone. Christ will be with us. And now we have a future and a purpose to spread that good news of a Savior who knows us fully, and yet still loves us completely.
pray. God, I pray that these truths hit home not just to the young people among us, but to all of us, Lord. These lessons that we wish we'd have known, these truths that we wish we'd have known at a younger age, God. Burn them into our hearts and minds so that we might be filled with that living hope, that spring of living water might flow out of us onto those around us so that we might dispel the darkness and the hopelessness of those around us. Lord, Thank you for who you are, for knowing us and still loving us. We praise you for who you are. Amen.